Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Y'all grab your Bibles, please. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. 2 Corinthians is right after 1 Corinthians, if you needed help finding it. Say, John had that second cup of coffee this morning. Yes, I did. So just buckle your seatbelts. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Each time he said, the Lord said, Paul is praying, and Jesus responds to him, and he said, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is... And we found out last week is the power of the Holy Spirit. My power works best in weakness. So Paul said, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, not hide them, not try to do better. He said, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord, thank you for the, for the truth of your word. Thank you that your word is true, whether, whether it makes sense in the moment or not. Thank you, Lord, that, that you give promises to us that we neither deserve nor sometimes even comprehend, but you're faithful to give them anyway. And we thank you for the word that uh, that you've brought us here today to hear. And I pray, God, that you help us prepare our hearts to not just hear it, but then to put it into practice and do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, bud. Well, Jesus told a parable one time in, in the Gospels about two houses. You might remember this. If you had looked at the two houses side by side, it would have been hard to tell the difference. Right? It's kind of like in a subdivision where all the houses look really similar. It'd be hard to tell side by side that there was any difference. But then Jesus introduced into the parable a variable that turned out to be the deciding factor. And uh, the, the difference maker between how you can tell the difference in this house and that house. And that deciding factor was, that was rain. Rain. Torrential rain. Wind. Lightning. Thunder and that rain beat relentlessly against both of the houses. It it became the deciding factor because one of those houses, which looked just like the other one, was built on the sand. And the rain washed the sand out from under the house. And the Bible says, Great was the collapse of that house. The other house was built on the rock and it didn't move. Now, every person builds their lives on something. The, the, their, their lives are the houses, our lives are the houses that Jesus was talking about. And let me tell you something, all the houses look pretty good in the sunshine. 
All the houses, nobody's worried too much about the foundation when the sun's shining. Everybody's foundation is perfectly acceptable at that point. But let the wind start to blow and let the rain start to fall and you'll find out right quick what your life is built upon. And let me tell you this, given that the rains fall and the winds blow against every house, every life, you better start paying attention to the foundation that you're building on. See, when you build your life on the rock of Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in him, when the storms come, and they will, you can rest assured that you're going to make it. You're going to make it. A faith that doesn't stand against the wind and the rain is not much help at all, is it? The faith that we have in Jesus is our solid rock. It's not going anywhere, no matter how rough things get, because he is the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving creator of this universe. He's not intimidated by your storm. Sometimes, though, it's not just a storm. Is it? Sometimes it's one storm after another storm after another storm. They're all dogpiling you at once. Have have any of you been successful at making your storms line up and take turns? Because I've not mastered that yet. They they gang up on me, sometimes unannounced. A, A single storm will make you tired right? It'll wear you out. But a storm after a storm after another storm all on top of each other will make you weary and weak. The good news from our opening scripture in 2 Corinthians is that when we're at our weakest, he's at his strongest. When we're overwhelmed by the storms, he's right beside us, giving us the strength that we need to endure. And then when the storm's over, he's not going anywhere. He gives us the strength to heal and recover and learn from what we've just been through. And at no point is he going to walk away from us just because the storm gets gets to raging. The real danger is making sure that you don't walk away from him. So I want to talk today about crisis faith. Crisis faith. How to keep your faith anchored to the rock in a crisis or in a storm. We're not talking about the mountaintops, okay? It's easy to find a rock in the mountains. We're talking about in the storms. How to tap into that grace and strength that he promises in the midst of a storm. And to do that, we're going to look at the lives of a couple of guys in Scripture who were in a fight for their lives and for their faith and see what we can learn from them about enduring the crises that we deal with in our lives. Okay? Does that sound like a plan? Good. Only one I got. All right, let's go to Job, the book of Job. Not Job, Job. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1 and 3, let me kind of set this up. Um, there There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz, He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Now, let's skip over to verse 13. 
One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals, killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another messenger arrived. With this news, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. And I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was speaking... Another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness, hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed. All your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my father's womb, from my mother's womb. I'll leave naked. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Next chapter, verses 7 through 10. So Satan left the Lord's presence. He struck Job with terrible boils uh, from head to toe. Horrible, horrible boils. If you've ever had one, it's like every move you make hurts. He was covered from head to toe with boils. Job scraped his skin with a piece of pottery, broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. That's a pretty amazing story right there, right? It's not, and it's not a story. It's not a myth or a legend or a fable that's, that's given to us to teach us something. This actually happened. It's an account in the Bible. Job was a wonderful man with great faith in God, but his faith apparently had never really been tested. When God allowed him to be tested, then it was one storm after another after another. I've had weeks like that. Y'all had weeks like that? One thing after another after another. When you think, what else could possibly go wrong? And then it does. Right? When you think, how could this get any more unbearable? And then it does. That was Job's experience. But I think on a scale that we can all agree, almost none of us have ever been through anything quite like that. He lost every possession, every family member except his wife, and she wasn't happy. Right? He was hurting physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, and spiritually. He was in, if anybody's ever been in a crisis, Job was in a crisis. He'd always been a man of faith. Always been a man of integrity, but was his faith and integrity, listen, was it built on the blessings of God or was it built on God himself? See, it's one thing to give God praise because you're grateful for the blessings. God blesses me and I praise God for it. That sounds like a good deal if you can get it, right? 
It is an entirely different thing when you're in the middle of a crisis and in those moments, the memory of God's blessing is a thousand miles away because you can't see your hand in front of you. What are you going to do then? Will your faith withstand the pressure of the crisis? Listen, that's not a hypothetical question, y'all. At some point, you're going to have to answer that question for yourself. Here's the first thing that you have to do um, to keep your faith in a crisis. The first thing is make the choice. Make the choice. Here's what I noticed from these passages when we read them. Job had a choice to make. He did not choose his circumstance. He could not choose what happened to him, but he could choose his response to it. After the first storm, he had to choose how to respond. And and it tells us what his choice was. He stood up, he tore his robe in grief, and then he fell to the ground in worship. Do you know you can do both at the same time? This is not the fun stuff that American churches like to talk about, but you can grieve and worship at the same time. You can struggle with the storm that you're in and still worship God at the same time. You can still choose to worship a God that you don't understand in that moment. God made the choice, Job made the choice to do that in that crisis. For him, he said, doesn't make sense for me to worship God in the blessing and then turn my back on him in the storm. He said, I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. Everything I have is his. He can do with it whatever he wants. He gives to me. He takes away from me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. Amen, Chloe. Wow. Can I tell you, that is not a feeling that's just going to rise up in you. Right? You're not just going to open your mouth and that's going to come tumbling out. That is crazy stuff right there. That is a decision that's rooted in crisis faith. Nobody just feels that in those moments. It's a choice you have to make. The grief, the panic... The fear, all of that stuff that comes with a crisis is going to tell you to, tr- to, to follow them. They're going to try to get you to follow them and to turn away from God. Don't do it. This is the moment you need him the most. If you'll disconnect from the power source of your own strength and your own wisdom, then you can plug into the grace and the power that God offers us in the crisis, when you are at your weakest, he will be your strength, but you have to lean into him and let him do it. If you walk away from him, you're destined to face the storm on your own. Let me tell you something. I've tried that. It does not work. Sometimes you may think, well, if I'll just take a stand, this is a test. If I can just take a stand for God this one time, then I know he'll rescue me from this crisis. Yeah, it's not really how that worked for Job. Because he did. He said, I'm going to, take, I'm going to stand up. I'm going, to be in, I'm going to grieve, but I'm going to worship and just trust God to be God. And then I, maybe he expected that it would be, it'd be over after that. He, he took his stand, and then he got sores all over his body from head to toe. His wife said, 
Why are you still hanging on to your integrity? Like what, why are you still trying to do the right thing? It didn't seem to help you the last time. So why don't you just curse God and die? And Job had another choice to make. He said, how can we accept the good things of God? Not accept when bad things happen. Listen, your faith will sustain you through a crisis when you realize that your faith was not just born to bless you. It was born to build your life upon. It's your foundation. It's not your warm fuzzies. It's your foundation. It was born to sustain you through the hard times. It was born to testify to others. I don't know of a single person with deep faith who has not had seasons of their lives when they had to just make the choice to love him and serve him and worship him even when they couldn't understand him. In the Gospels, there's an account of Jesus preaching. uh, And when Jesus really got on a roll, uh, some people found it hard to stomach, sometimes, sometimes confusing, always challenging, and sometimes just plain offensive. And in this one particular passage, Jesus was preaching, and pretty much everybody turned around and walked off. And Jesus turned to the 12 disciples. He said, y'all going to go too? You going with them? You hanging around? Like, just make, just make a choice. And Peter, who was always first to speak, <laughs> but sometimes what came out of his mouth didn't really help much, but he said very honestly in that moment and profoundly, he said, where else would we go? Where else are we going to go? He said, you're the only one who has the words of life. At some point, you realize you don't just follow Jesus because you like what he says or what he does. You follow him because he's God. Period. See, God, this is, this is maybe what helped me out of, I've told you many times about the crisis, one of the crises of faith that I've had when I was about to walk away from, from not just from ministry, but from God. And in, in those moments where I'm trying to process through my faith, I think what really helped pull me back to the center is the fact that God was God. God was true whether I believed it or not. God was God whether I liked him or not. That my, my feelings about the situation that I was in had nothing to do with the eternal truths of this world. That God was not going to be diminished in his power just because I decided not to believe him anymore. God is God whether you like him, whether you understand him or not. And that's what Peter's saying. Peter might very well have been saying, yeah, we'd kind of like to go with the rest of them. But I don't know where we'd wind up. Because we chose to follow you because we understand who you are. And so Peter and the, and the rest of the other 11 made the choice to stick with Jesus even when it was uncomfortable, even when it didn't make sense. So Job came to the same conclusion in that moment. A few days after all of this started, as he's, as he's learning to deal with, with the situation in his life, he actually declared, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He said, listen, if God wants to take my life, that's fine. I'm still going to trust him to make the right choice. That trust is a choice 
birthed in crisis faith. Faith that's been tried by the fire and came out pure. If you're in a crisis today, don't walk away from the grace that Jesus has promised. Make the choice to trust him. Make the choice. Here's the second thing you have to do. Find a way to rejoice. Find a way to rejoice. I want to read it to you in in Philippians chapter 3. One passage, Philippians 3 and 1. Paul said, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Whatever happens, rejoice. Good good stuff, bad stuff, boring stuff, whatever's going on in your life, rejoice. Paul said uh, in, in another chapter, the next chapter, he said, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice over and over again in this little book of the of Philippians. But really all through scripture, we, we continue to get this reminder to rejoice. He said in verse one, I'm telling you these things to safeguard your faith. Joy will protect your faith and your faith empowers your joy. When you're in the midst of the storm, you have to find a way to have joy. Amen. Joy doesn't mean that you're suddenly and strangely happy about what's going on in your life. Because most of the time, that'd be completely inappropriate. Like you'd need a psychological evaluation to be happy about the circumstances that we find ourselves in in life. That's not what joy is. It simply means that there's this underlying hope that there will be a better day. It's this underlying assurance that, that whatever you're going through will at some point end and that God, the God who has always been faithful, will continue to be faithful. And that joy will sustain you through the storms and the crises of your life. It's so important. God teaches us over and over and over again throughout Scripture. Let's go to the Old Testament and look, and look at this one. In, um, in, in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, prophetically, Isaiah is speaking about the Messiah, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So, does that sound familiar? That, that's right out of that, that. That sounds like what Jesus said in Luke four when he was in his hometown synagogue. Jesus stood up. He read from that scroll in Isaiah. Je, uh, Jesus stopped right there. Isaiah continues. Look at verse three, Isaiah sixty one, verse three, and and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. And they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Listen, for those who mourn, for those who grieve, for those who are in a storm or in a crisis, Jesus himself will give you beauty instead of the ashes that you seem to be standing in. He'll give you a garment of praise Instead of the spirit of the spirit of heaviness, he'll give you the oil of joy instead of mourning. 
That's the grace of God given to us by His Spirit. He gives that to us when we stay close to Him in our weaknesses and storms. That's why Paul said in our opening passage, that's why I glory, that's why I find pleasure in, that's why I find joy in my weakness. Why? Because when I'm weak, I am strong. How is that? Through the grace and the power of Jesus Christ, our solid rock. So when you're in a crisis, make the choice and then find a way to rejoice. Here's the last thing. Listen for the voice. Listen for the voice. 1 Kings 19, you've all read this passage most likely. 1 Kings 19, this is, uh, this is kind of the climax here. Go out, and God said, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a, mount, a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast, the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Some translations say a still, small voice. Elijah heard it, wrapped his face in a cloak, in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, killed all your prophets. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu. Uh, the, son, the grandson of uh, Nimshi to be the, the king of Israel. Anoint Elisha uh, from that particular town to replace you as my prophet. All right? Elijah was in a storm. He was in a storm so strong that the prophet of God went running straight into the wilderness, completely overwhelmed, and prayed to die. Amen. Storms will have that effect on you sometimes, won't they? They just shut you down. You don't know what else to do. The interesting, things about, uh, the interesting thing about storms is that some of the most devastating storms aren't the ones that happen to you when you're already down after a defeat. They're the ones that happen to you when you're on top of the world after a victory. Amen. And that's what happened to Elijah. He, he had just defeated and eliminated the, pro, the priests and the prophets of the false religions that were all operating in Israel. He had asked the Lord to end a three and a half year drought, and he did. He outran a chariot from a mountain to a city. It was, it was about as spiritually high as you could possibly get. Then came the storm that knocked, the, knocked him off his feet. Elijah went running into the wilderness, and for a while, the Lord's plan for Elijah was all about his physical body. All he did was eat, drink water, and sleep. Read it for yourself. If you're in a storm, you need to do the same. Y'all hear me? You hear me? You, you, you've got to eat, whether you're hungry or not. You've got to drink water, because dehydration makes everything worse. And you've got to sleep because your brain needs a chance to reset itself. You can't hear clearly spiritually if you're not stable physically. That's why missionaries almost always go out with food in their hands. 
right? Because people can't hear the words of the gospel over the rumble of their empty stomachs. After, after the Lord had gotten Elijah stable, he needed to get his soul restored. And so God wanted to speak with him. Now, I want you to notice what happens. All these spectacular things were going on. Things that demanded notice. Things that were impossible to ignore. Things that would, would appear to be spiritual, but God wasn't in any of those things. It is so easy. If you don't hear anything else, listen to this. It's so easy when you're desperate in the midst of a storm to latch on to anything that seems spiritual. Any voice that seems certain. Any manifestation that seems supernatural. But wait to hear God's voice. You can hear it if you'll listen. When you find yourself in a storm, the noise of the wind and the rain might will try to drown out the voice of the Father, but keep listening. The shuddering of the house, the creaking of its frame may distract you, but keep listening for the voice. Elijah had to stand through the earthquake, through the wind, and through the fire before he finally heard the still, small voice of the Father who gave him direction and gave him his purpose back. So you have to tune to the voice of the Father. But you have to ignore everything else. If you listen to the voice of the pain, you listen to the voice of the fear, listen to the voice of the doubt, you'll shipwreck your faith and you'll destroy your life. Hear the voice of the Father and follow it. Storms are so taxing on your soul that, that, they'll, that your mind, your will, and your emotions just get overwhelmed. They get locked up. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your heart. Trust the Father. Remember, the crisis is just a season. The season will change and the storm will pass. Even in the midst of the storm, He can speak to you joy and meaning and purpose. He can give you direction. He can give you hope. But you have to listen to the Father. Now, I'm going to do something that I'll almost never do. Uh, I'm going to close with a video. So... Um, I got, uh, somebody sent me, two different people sent me this video this week, two different times within minutes of each other. They don't know each other, uh, at least not well. And, and so I try to listen to the voice too. And sometimes the voice, uh, speaks through other people. Sometimes the voice speaks through what could be passed off as a coincidence, but some, but you need to stop and pay attention and hear the voice. Now this, this story is told as, as true. Um, I have obviously no way to verify it since it happened in Alaska, and I haven't been there ever. Um, but the lessons that are taught are valid regardless, and they go perfectly with what I was already sensing the Lord wanting me to say. And so I just want you to give your attention to this video. When, we, when, when it gets done, we'll come back together and pray. And I think you'll appreciate uh, the chance to listen. I was in Alaska doing a lawsuit we're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. The pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here. 
and I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. You got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane, and I looked at it. And I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up. And it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we're going <laughs> to. And I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently, and we start climbing. And it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing, and we flew probably three, four minutes. And something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day. And we go right up into the clouds and you can't see anything. And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head and he starts mumbling and he passes out passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you got to wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that. Yes. He said, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello, don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it to me. I said, tell them we don't know nothing. Tell them we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell them that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm gonna get Anchorage Emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we gotta do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not going to obey my voice, you're going to die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're going to crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said... I have to follow your voice? Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand? Without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got us turned. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. 
He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage, and there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die. But I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're going to make it. But listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. You realize your head is full of voices. And everybody in this world wants to talk to you. And everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm going to line you up. He said, I'm going to bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice and they follow me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. Finally, it all came to a stop. And the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room at about four in the morning. They knock at my door. And I open the door and a man was standing there, he said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. Tonight you have a God who has promised to take you through. A living sacrifice, holy. Y'all stand with me, please. <clears throat> Father, there are people in this room who are going through a storm right now. They can't see anything. They have, no direct, they have no idea where they are or which direction to go. 
Lord, I pray that you would help them to hear your voice cut through every other voice that's competing for their attention. Help them right now, Lord. To make the choice that no matter what you say, they're going to do it. That whether they can see you or, or, or feel you, whether the circumstance changes or, it, or, or gets worse, that they're going to follow your voice. Lord, I pray that you'd give great grace in this room right now. That you would encourage people, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, as, as we open, as this altar is open right now, God, I pray that people would come, would just lay themselves on the altar and just say, Lord, I don't always follow your voice but I know I need to. And today I'm making the decision to follow you. Maybe there are people who are in the midst of a storm and they've been trying it on their own. And today they're just ready to take their, their hands off of it and just say, Lord, I'm giving this to you and I want you to lead me and guide me and show me the way. And I'm committed to doing what you tell me to do. Lord, maybe there's just somebody here today that just needs some hope that the storm's going to pass. That eventually the wind's going to stop blowing, the rain's going to stop falling, their world's going to stop rocking and turning upside down. And I pray that you'd help them to know that no matter what happens, that you're going to be there to hold them, to help them through every moment. God, draw us to yourself today. Heal us and give us hope. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.